Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus uses parables in his teaching to compare a spiritual reality, one with which most are not familiar with, to practical things the audience is familiar with. And in the parable of the ten virgins, the audience, according to Matthew's gospel, is the disciples who Jesus is speaking with privately. And in Mark's gospel, believed by some scholars to be Peter's gospel written by John Mark, who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, reveals that the audience is actually Peter, James, John, and Andrew. In Mark 13, 3, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the signs when all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus begins his teaching or his discourse there on the Mount of Olives. And if you hear someone say the Olivet Discourse, that's what they're talking about. It's a private conversation between Jesus and four of his disciples who will soon be sent out to share this truth and be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And those 12 Jesus sent out for this purpose are called apostles or sent ones. And in this story, the four disciples would be very familiar with the Jewish wedding feast, which unknowingly by the Jews, when they practice the wedding feast, are acting out the coming of Jesus for his church. There was a marriage arrangement between the bride and groom, an engagement period or a betrothal, Mary was betrothed to Joseph when she was found to be pregnant, for example, and preparing a place for the bride to live, usually the groom's family's house. There was a plan for the groom to come at an hour not known and take the bride to the feast where it was all prepared, the feast, the party, the celebration, and then consummation of the marriage by physical intimacy. And there's a lot more to the wedding feast, but here's some of the basic things that I'm aware of. In the same way, Jesus has been offered to the whole world as a sacrifice so that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is the marriage arrangement. Those who received him and believed upon his name are betrothed to him, awaiting the day when he will come for them. In John 14, 3, it says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus went ahead of us and prepared a place for his bride. He will come at an hour when we don't expect it. In Matthew twenty-five thirteen. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Then we will be in heaven with him and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 19, in verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And there's more to that. And that's another study talking about that. But basically, it's the model of the wedding feast. So we, as followers of Christ, are part of his bride, whom he is creating out of mankind all over the world currently, every day. 
He is pulling someone out of darkness into his light, making them a part of his bride. So Peter, John, James, and Andrew lived in this culture where the marriage feast was a big deal. So Jesus, using that knowledge they already had, combined with the faith in him and their openness to his teaching, he now shares another glimpse of that kingdom he spoke so many times about in his teachings, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which we really know very little about. But we can learn from this parable a few things about that kingdom. So Jesus starts out this parable by describing ten virgins, and we would say bridesmaids, but in this day they were unmarried women, and if you were an unmarried woman and not a virgin, you would not be in the wedding. Five were wise and five were foolish. They all had lamps which contained oil. The oil lamps were a source of lighting as the wedding party made their way to and from the bride's house. It's like carrying flashlights. And the lights would provide some light for the way, but also served as a focal point for those looking out their window wondering what all the noise was about. They would see, oh, it's the wedding party. They could see all the lights. Five brought oil, which in the scriptures is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and five didn't bring oil. Psalm 133, 2, it says, like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. The idea of pouring oil on a priest was portraying the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them. Proverbs 1, 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So at midnight, the bride came. Everyone in expectation probably tried to get a little sleep and may have been awakened, but when the announcement came, they all sprang up and began to get ready to go. But there was a problem. It was dark, the lamps were being lit, and five of the bridesmaids needed oil. Problem was, there was no extra oil. So they asked the other five bridesmaids, who refused. If they gave up half of their oil, everyone would run out, and that would be a really bad thing. So the five run out and try to scavenge up some oil at midnight. Meanwhile, the party starts and the procession begins with only five of the ten bridesmaids. Now, this would be very disrespectful to the wedding party as well as embarrassing to them, but with the five bridesmaids, they complete their processional route, landing at the groom's house. The doors are shut. The party starts. This is what the bride and groom have been waiting for. The celebration involved not just them, but many people from the community, especially in a small town where there were not that many people to begin with and everybody knew each other. The whole town could have been there. But it's a great celebration of joy, laughter, feasting, and love. Now the five foolish bridesmaids return, and it doesn't say if they were able to find oil. They may have just been waiting until the party arrived at the groom's house and then tried to get in. We don't know. But what's interesting is what the Lord says happens next. Instead of the door being opened, allowing them to partake of the celebration, they're denied entry. And what's worse is what the master of the banquet says, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. So they're all denied access to the party. Now with Peter, John, James, and Andrew sitting there, they would certainly have understood the cultural context of Jesus' teaching since they were familiar with the wedding feast and likely attended a few themselves. But they're given the warning, just as all of us are given that warning, and that is to watch, therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour. I believe the message of this parable is simple. Be ready. But ready for what? Be ready for when you meet Jesus. And many times during my career, I responded to situations where someone who had not expected to die actually died that day, instantly. From infants to elderly and everything in between, totally unexpected. Were they wise and ready, or were they foolish and unprepared? Are they feasting with Jesus, or are they denied entrance to the feast? See, every human being has a spirit. That's one of the things that separates us from animals. Humans are different from animals. We have a spirit. That spirit allows us to connect with the spirit realm. 
And most people, in my opinion, who actually connect with the spirit realm are not connecting with God, rather demonic spirits. And reason being, the demonic spirits will encourage those to do what their feelings tell them, whereas the Holy Spirit, if you're connected with God, will tell them what is holy and right. So it's a choice between something that is holy and right or something that pleases their feelings. And what happens? Many choose their feelings. I've seen a lot of churchgoers go this route. They are not at all interested in the things of God, rather what's in it for me. And with their feelings running the show, they stay in the flesh, which is at war with the Spirit. They really want no part of God. They just want to do their thing and think that that's good. And it's not. Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please. God. To stay in the Spirit is an everyday battle, requiring us to be diligent in seeking the Lord and obeying His Word and His Spirit. This is how we stay ready and avoid looking foolish now and in eternity. So be ready. Thank you.